Praise God. If you go with me to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be there. We're going to continue there on verse 33. We have been going through the book of Matthew, for those who don't know, and we've been going verse by verse there through the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to talk about making oaths or promises or swearing. And uh, it's very interesting. Last week, we dove into Scripture before that, that talked about divorce. And the week before that, it talked about adultery. And I believe that all these things are woven together. God wants us to know the value of covenants. God wants us to know the value of promises and relationship. God wants us to know the value of our words. So we have been going through the book of Matthew. And today we're going to dive into Matthew 5. And we're going to talk about the power of words. Okay? Talk about the power of words. As we go through scriptures or the scriptures that, uh, that we will uh, dive into today, I want us to keep in mind this point, And I hope that we can walk away receiving an impartation of this. Are you ready? Words matter. Words matter. Stick and stone may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's not true, right? I actually remember when I hurt myself playing basketball or getting run over by something or doing something foolish, and I kind of remember with a laugh, (laughs) yeah, I remember when I did that, stupid. (laughs) You know, those things don't really hurt, but there are words and things spoken over me that I need a healing from. Words, words hurt more. Can I get an amen? amen? So, again, as we look at this, I want you to keep this in mind. Our words are powerful and they matter. Matthew chapter 5, 33 on down. We're going to read that scripture there and it reads this way. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. In other words, you will not, you will not make an oath fa- falsely. You will not just... Uh, uh, you know, say things like, I promise, I swear, but you, you will perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Some of us don't even have hair to do that with. Bless us, Lord. <laughs> Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let's repeat that again. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Thank you for your word. Declare it clear, clearly to us, God. That you're anointing God, break yokes in this area in our lives, that we would be people that say yes and mean yes, no and mean no, and honor you with our words in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this portion of Scripture, Jesus began to address a culture that has grown accustomed to making promises, and making these promises by pointing to something that they would consider of great worth. So they would say things like, I swear by Jerusalem. Or I swear by the heavens. Or like in today's culture, we have heard people say things like, I swear by such and such as grave. And I, I swear by this, right? And I promise that, that, that. And so he's, Jesus is talking about a culture that has grown accustomed to using this terminology. And so the swearing that Jesus is talking about here is not like the vows or promises or the oath that are taken in a wedding or before the court in order to protect from perjury. But rather, Jesus is dealing with everyday life conversation and swearing that gives a sense of authority 
And yet it is often promises, these are often promises that are unfruitful. You with me? These are the kinds of things that are said, I promise I'm going to do this. You know, this kind of, uh, we say those things because we're actually saying in some sense, I know that I said this, but now I said I promise. And so this is my real word as opposed to my not so real word. That was my real word, you know, because I, I have real words, but then this is my real, real word. Right? Right? Jesus is trying to correct that culture and that way of thinking. And now... The interesting thing is that we say things like, I promise, with a weight of authority, but the truth is you and I know that seldom there's a price or a consequence. At least we think that seldom there's a price and a consequence for not following through on our word. For are there consequences? Are there serious consequences? What does it mean for our culture when we accept this kind of living? What does it mean about our God? Let's begin by diving into the Scripture and see what the Scripture says primarily about the example for everything, our God. Let's look at God and His relationship with words. Let's look at what the Scripture says about God and His Word. Number one, words were the tools wielded by God as He created the universe. The scripture, Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 3, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. And God said, He said, Let there be light. And there was light. God used words. He wielded words. He used words to create the universe. Secondly, God did not only use words, but according to Scripture, God is Word. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glorious of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you to think about God's Word, connected to God, because God's Word is God, connected to His glory, not just part of His glory, the fullness of the glory of God. Just think about that. In Spanish, I love the translation. And En el principio estaba el verbo, y el verbo estaba con Dios, y el verbo era Dios. The word, word in Spanish is verbo, verb, action, word action word a word that is always producing and moving his word by the way always accomplishes what it is sent out to do isaiah 55 10 on down for the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water but water the earth make it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which i purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which i sent it and that incredible god's word never fails and then through his word he has changed destinies you notice how god through his word has changed destinies the lives of people changing names no longer shall your name be Abraham, but your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Isn't it incredible how God changes destinies through His Word? 
Abraham, now Abraham because of his faith. Jacob, now Israel, no longer a snake. Simon Barjona called Peter by our Savior's mandate. My name was sinner in disgrace until that glorious day, Feb 2695. God opened the gates. He gave me love instead of hate. I heard the angels celebrate over my salvation from hell and continual heartbreaks. Bound to damnation. I was a king on checkmate, so check it. I was the one afraid to claim my own heritage. Condemnation and I, we hung around. It was evident. I never let myself dream of building a great edifice. I was lord and the average kid. My mind recited in pestilence. But that's when the king, he knocked on my door. He dressed me in his purple robe, what I couldn't afford. I said to myself, I'm dying like I should have before because his holiness made me drop straight to the floor. And I cried, leave me alone, God. Let me die in my shame. I know I'm not deserving more than your eternal flames. He looked at me and said, even though you're broken and lame, give me everything you have and I'll give you my name. He looked at me and said, even though you're broken and lame, give me everything you have and I'll give you my name. Through his word, he changes destinies. Through his words, he curses that which bears no fruit. Do you remember when Jesus looked at the fig tree? He said, you will be cursed. And it was immediately uh, dried up. Through his word, he blesses. And he blessed Simon Peter. He said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And his word will be here after everything ends. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And we know that the scriptures are divinely inspired. 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Think about that. Let's redeem words. Because what we have created is a culture that doesn't trust in words. And when we Put that filter before us and we go to the Word of God, we're going to find a problem. Because either the Word of God is 100% truth or it's completely a lie. Are you with me? I remember a moment when I was reading through John and all of a sudden it dawned on me that John, who uh, the, uh, the Gospel of John, the one who also wrote Revelation, John, the disciple of Christ, the Apostle, said, and I don't have the words to write all the things that Jesus has done. There's not enough pages and books in the world for me to write the things that Jesus has done. And I hit a cocoon because I said, wait a minute. Did John just exaggerate? Jesus' life and ministry is only three and a half years. So how is it that there's not enough pages in the world for it to contain the miracles that Jesus has done? I just couldn't understand that. And I, and I hit a problem here. It's like, wait a minute. There's an exaggeration. The word is not true. You understand my, my reasoning here? But then all of a sudden, I look at the scripture and I realize the reality of who Jesus is. The lot, all of creation points to the reality of who he is. That the sun, the sun in the sky, is just a reflection of who he is. 
And I started to think, take an acre of land. And take that acre of land and let the sun rise over that acre of land. Can we even fathom or even be able to jot down all of the effects of the rays of the sun on every blade of grass, of every fruit, everything that's growing in that one acre of land? Impossible. We couldn't. When you think of the reality of that, it's just insurmountable. That's just one acre of land. And that's just a reflection of the sun. We have no idea the things that happen as Jesus was. And the word became flesh. And his fullness, the fullness of the glory of God among us. So people say, well, 12 men changed the world. <laughs> the glory changed the world. Are you with me? Think about the reality of that. Jesus' word, the word of God really matters. Now chew on this for a minute. In light of all that. You and I are made in his image. And we have been given authority. And we are supposed to reflect him. Yes, even in our words. Let's ask ourselves this question. Now, this is really convicting for me. You may be off the hook here, but I'm struggling with this one. Do our words reflect him? Do our words reflect him? One of the things that I think we make light of is the fact that Jesus made us in his image and he also gave us authority that we would be like him, reign, have lordship. And, you know, that begins with the words we speak. With, with your tongue, yeah, your tongue has the power of life and death, cursing and blessing, according to James. Do we reflect the glory of God when we speak? Do people go around saying after they talk to us, man, after I talk to Brother Israel, man, I, I, just feel, I just feel blessed. I feel life. Or what do they say? I'm telling you, that convicts me. Now let us dive into the text that we have read today. And here are the reasons Jesus gives us why we should not swear or make promises like this in a daily conversation or take our words lightly. Number one. Number one reason here, the first reason I should say, why Jesus gives us why we shouldn't make oath at all is because we don't have the same value system that God does. We don't value things like God does. For example, you see that Jesus says, why are you swearing by Jerusalem? Don't you know that's a city of God? Why are you swearing by the heavens? That's like beyond you. You know? You cannot even count your own head. Why are you even swearing on your own life? Right? Number one, this is what Jesus is saying. Don't swear by Jerusalem because you don't know anything about Jerusalem. You don't value Jerusalem like I value her. Don't swear the heavens. You're, you haven't been there. You don't value heaven like I do. And don't swear by yourself because you don't value yourself like I value you. Right? This is powerful. We don't have the same value system. Look at Lot. Lot valued Sodom and Gomorrah. And God wanted nothing to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? Other than judgment, right? Because they didn't repent. God valued Rahab. Rahab who was a prostitute. But because she put her faith in the God of Israel, God valued Rahab so much so that she's a part of the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ. God valued Nineveh. While the prophet men of God wanted nothing to do with Nineveh. And you know what? After God changed Nineveh, it wasn't like Jonah was happy. Jonah was upset. It's like, I knew it. I didn't want to preach because these people would turn around and I wanted to see them judged. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. We don't have those kind of religious spirits anymore, but you know, back in the days, 
God valued, God valued David, didn't he? Jesse didn't seem to value David when the prophet came to anoint his sons. He didn't even present David. But God valued David. And God valued the widow and her offering. Everybody was coming to the temple, giving an offering. And, you know, there were people who were bringing out the stash. And, you know, just obviously, you know, uh, uh, people were recognizing what they were giving. But Jesus recognized the two mites, the two cents, per se, of the widow because he knew her heart and that she had given everything she had. We don't value the thi- uh, we, we don't have the same value system that God does. And so because of that, we shouldn't be using our words lightly. We shouldn't be swearing by anything. Secondly, tomorrow is outside of our control. And to speak and live as if it was in our control is not sober. And it does not acknowledge God in our lives. James chapter 4, 13 on down reads this way. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Let's be sober about life here. We're a mist. According to scripture, we're a breath. Just one breath. Psalm Psalm uh, 39, the psalmist says, life is but one breath. Show me, O Lord, the end of my days. Instead, verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, here's what it's saying. Jesus is saying, Basically, this is evil. You know why it's evil? Because when we make promises and we make declarations like this, tomorrow we're going to do this and tomorrow we're doing that, we're actually putting our faith in something that hasn't been promised to us, right? And we're actually saying that we're in control. We're in control. We say, oh, you know what? I know I didn't do it today, but I promise you tomorrow I will do it. And what we're saying is I am control. I can make things happen tomorrow as if tomorrow was here and now. You see that? It's almost ascribing unto us sovereignty. You know? Instead, the believer is called to a humble surrender. If the Lord wills. That implies several things. I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow, but I know the day belongs to the Lord. Right? It implies another, it implies another thing today. I, uh, another thing as well. I choose not to live according to how I will. I choose to go be led by the Holy Spirit. I choose to say, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. You will be my God. Right? And that is a totally different attitude. And we'll close with this. Moses, I heard a message that really messed up my life. I really had to deal with it. It was, it was disastrous, but it brought life out of me. I want to share it with you. So that I'm not bearing this burden by myself. But God, God said to Moses at one point in his leading Israel, he said to him, you know what? I can't go with this people anymore. They're stubborn, they're stiff-necked. Just, just go. I'll make you successful. I'll give you the land. And Moses could have taken that deal. 
He could have taken that deal and said, you know what? Okay, well, I'll, I'll be successful in what you call me to do, and we'll enter the promised land. Okay, you don't have to go with us, God. We'll go. I know we're stiff-necked. Do you know what Moses said? No go. No deal. If your presence stays, I'm staying. If your presence goes, I'm going. And I think the church needs to have that attitude. Lord, I don't want to make another financial investment. I don't want to make a commitment to anything your spirit is not leading me to do. We need to live in this place of surrender. I was in a conference and I heard a preach. We were talking about how to discern the will of the Lord. And the, the guy, we were sitting at the table and he said, well, I really don't. I just go do something and hope the Lord blesses it. I said, Lord, have mercy on his family. You understand the ramifications of that? How many times are we going to ram our lives against the wall before we say, you know, I'm like ready for you to take the lead. Another minister said, oh, I want Jesus to take the wheel. I just want to be on the passenger side, but let Jesus take the wheel. And the minister said to that young man, no, that's the problem. You cannot even be on. You're a bad backseat driver. God wants you in the trunk and he wants it locked. The reality is, are you ready? Where Jesus wants to lead us and we don't want nothing to do with that. (laughs) There are places we don't want to go, but if we trust the intentions of our God, our tomorrows belong to him. Would you stand with me? Amen. Hmm. Yes, Lord. Hmm. You know, some of the greatest offenses in the world have come through broken promises and words used wrongfully. Many of us were children hurt by words that were said that were never fulfilled. Many marriages broken by vows not committed. Many wars started because of treaties broken by nations. Words are powerful. But we will listen to the voice of the Lord. We will not speak death. We will not take our words lightly. But we will be about speaking life. We will be about 
listening to the leading of the Lord and being sober about the reality of life. Father, we, we stand before you amazed to who you are. You are the living word. You are the living word. We thank you, God, that we can throw ourselves into your word because your word never fails and you're not a man that you should lie or turn back on your word. Oh, today we're so grateful and thankful to know that we trust in a God who, whose word remains. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And we respond to you today. We say, anoint us, God, afresh, that we will speak life, that we will speak life. There's two calls here, just two things. I want to welcome you to the altar today. You're saying, you know what? I, I want to be... Uh, I want to make it a point to speak life. I want to be about speaking life. I realize that uh, at times I take my words lightly and I don't realize the effect my words have. And today I want to repent of that and I want to, I want to turn that over to God. And I, I, want, I want to be those who speak life and speak prophetically encouragement over people. If that's you today, and you, you're saying you want to be used by God that way, would you come up to the altar? Let's just stand before God with no one praying for us. Just stand before God and make that covenant before God. But listen, if you come up, I want you to be aware of something. To speak the words of God means to listen to the voice of the Lord. It doesn't mean flattery. It means listening to the voice of the Lord. You're here today and you're saying, I want to hear. I want to have an ear attentive to the voice of the Lord. Would you come up to the altar? Let's stand before God and say, God, we want to be used to hear your word, to speak your word, to speak your word. Amen. Let the altar fill up and get closer to the altar so more people can come up. Amen. 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 Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what? Today, I want to make a commitment to serve the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, now I know how great he is. I want you to remember the song sang in worship. He is a good father. That's who he is. And you are loved by him. That's who you are. He is a good father. That's who he is. And you are loved by him. That's who you are. If you're here today, you're saying, I want to surrender my life. I want to give my life to Christ. Would you come to the altar? We love to pray with you. Amen. The altars are open. And just stay there and just pray. If someone comes to pray for you, fine. If not, just continue to pray before the Lord. Amen. The altar workers can help me. Monica and Ben, can I ask you to help me pray at the altar as well? Amen. Heart is the wind. Your love is the flame. And I want Sister, can you help me pray? For your name. My heart is the wind. Your love is a flame, and I want to burn for your name. Oh, let my heart 